0: Well, hello there. I assume that you clicked on this video because you'd like to hear Dr. Brad Stanfield discussing some supplements that are actually proven to work. Unfortunately for you, you've been duped. This is a five hours of me knitting a quilt. A kid, you're in the right place. I had the pleasure of having Dr. Brad Stanfield on to discuss his stance on a number of supplements. If you aren't familiar with Dr. Stanfield, he is head of a channel that discusses a lot on these types of topics but above all he is a primary care physician with a focus on preventative care and aging a bit of forewarning if you're watching on video my recording software captured the video in horrible resolution and try as i might as much as i've seen it in the movies when i said enhance and pointed at the screen the video didn't miraculously become less blurry so my apologies on the video front, but the sound came through quite well. Without further ado, let's listen in. Yeah, so I guess I guess I'll I'll, I'll start it off by just asking you what what are your general thoughts and mentality around uh, NMN supplementation?
1: Yeah, so I'd start by saying that we ideally want to find ways to help people live long, healthy lives. So for most people on the internet, such as you and I, our goals are aligned. That. Yeah, we, we want people to be as healthy as possible for as long as possible. Um, and there's always going to be certain avenues or, or supplements or diets or whatever it may be that people get excited about as a fountain of youth. Um, and I think that that's possibly what's happened with NMN. That, yeah, the, that there's been a lot of excitement about NMN, but when you start to have a look at the randomized clinical trials, because that, that's what we use to figure out if a particular supplement or diet or whatever it may be, actually improve health is that we focus in on the randomized clinical trials and from the ones that we've got published so far to me it doesn't look like there's much of a benefit beyond the placebo effect so yeah i'm curious to to hear your take and, and sort of discuss those papers with you
0: yeah definitely uh so when i first heard about it which i had not uh i hadn't run across it at all really i mean of course i knew about nad and whatnot from uh looking at it from you know cell cell papers and just looking at molecular biology and stuff like that but not not necessarily as a supplement itself. Um, so I definitely had not looked at any of the downstream molecules like uh, the nicotinamide ribicide and all that good stuff uh, either so when people kept bringing it up you know you should look into NMN, you should look into NMN and I started looking into it and actually uh, I I also watched your video which was really great as well. And uh, that gave me a, a good kind of rudder to to kind of move in the right direction, and then I started looking for some other studies as well. And I was I was genuinely surprised by how anticlimactic the entire supplement was uh, when looking at the studies. It just I, I expected I don't know like a like these huge reversals in in biomedical markers and whatnot, and I generally didn't find that. There were a few studies so. I the way I had thought about it was it's it kind of fell into three camps. I had uh so I went over like 12 13 studies and some of the studies found zero effect whatsoever on any metric that they looked at. None none had any effect. Then I had another camp that had really minor effects. We're talking like I don't know effect effect sizes of like 5%, 10%, things like that. They're really tiny. And then there was two studies that had that one of them was uh, by Dr. David Sinclair's uh, his his uh, company, I guess that he's affiliated with. And then another study was done um, by an independent group that uh, also had ties to pharma. But I mean, frankly, all of them did. So even the studies that didn't find an effect also had ties to pharma. So I just I, I didn't think that the financial interests were that much of an issue in this situation when you looked at everything in aggregate. But Th- those two studies found some some more significant effects. However, the way that the data was displayed to me was really uh, it's uh it just it it wasn't it was, I'll just say it just wasn't the best way of displaying the data. And the the last thing I'll say is that for the other study that wasn't the David Sinclair study, uh, that study, the critique of that was that they had characterized the participants as healthy individuals that were maybe slightly overweight, but uh, they were generally healthy. And when you look at their their six minute walking test, which was the the biggest critique of that study uh, from a lot of other researchers, uh, you may have also brought this up. I'm not sure, but uh, the their six minute walking test was paltry. It was absolutely horrible. It was uh, I don't know in the 300 range in the the lowest end of normal would be 400. So they were well below that. So, you know, then I kind of came to this conclusion of maybe there's a more moderate effect in people that have negative health consequences of some sort, like they're dealing with something or they may be older, maybe they're in their 60s and whatnot. But I I just don't, I, I didn't find the evidence that convincing for somebody who is in their 20s, 30s, and even 40s to be consuming NMN because it just didn't seem to have much of an effect.
1: Yeah, yeah, I agree with that. And I think one of the other things that people often lose sight about when they first start looking at nicotinamide riboside or NMN, Mm -hmm. these are different types of vitamin B3. right? So we've used vitamin B3 in clinical medicine for decades. We used to use it um, to lower LDL cholesterol levels um, and hopefully improve cardiovascular endpoints. Um, But using very high dosages of niacin, so that's the form of, of vitamin B3 that used to be used in clinical medicine, that's got its own issues. It was you know, causing diabetes, it was raising blood sugar levels. um, So it's no longer used in clinical medicine. Um, But my my point with this is that, you know, we've got a truckload of research looking at high dosages of vitamin B3 to see what effects it would have. And there's a reason why it's not used in clinical medicine. It's that, you know, there was no benefit seen. Um, So again, I, 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 I struggle to get aboard the, well, okay, rephrase. When I first started my channel, um, so I'm a medical doctor by training and, you know, when I graduated from medical school and I was in the hospitals, I started to notice wrinkles around my eyes. So that's got, that got me interested in the, in the field of aging. What can we do to slow down the aging process? And that's when I came across people like, yeah, as you mentioned, David Sinclair and others who were talking about NMN and resveratrol and naively I got on board with that hype train. Um, and it was only once I started to actually peel back and, and focus in on the clinical, uh, randomized controlled trials and the clinical guidelines and actually, you know, go back to my original training, um, I, I realized that there's actually, if, if you if you go through these papers in the correct procedure, there's not that much there. Again, just for the audience watching this, there's a reason why we compare a placebo, so a dummy medication, to whatever we're testing. There's, there is the placebo effect. So if you take something that's marketed as, you know, this amazing elixir of youth that's going to make you, you know, have wonderful energy levels you're going to be able to walk a lot further there is that true effect you will start to feel better you will probably walk further and, and be stronger and that is the placebo effect so what we're trying to work out by doing these trials is is there an additional benefit to whatever we're testing compared to just the placebo effect and yeah again as as we've gone through we've we've now got you know roughly 15 of these randomized controlled trials and there's no clear benefit beyond a placebo. So, you know, they test a variety of different endpoints looking at, you know, the SF36 questionnaire. So that's just a general wellness questionnaire. And there doesn't appear to be any benefits there. There doesn't appear to be any significant benefits on cholesterol levels aside from that David Sinclair trial that that was mentioned. But they're using a different form of NDMen. And I, I just wonder whether that's actually been converted into niacin. And, and that's what's causing the lower, um, the improvements in LDL cholesterol. So, Again, that there's a lot of unknowns, but the overall point is that when we look at these placebo-controlled trials, there doesn't look to be any significant benefit beyond a placebo. And it's tricky because when you've got certain uh, channels with a financial incentive um, to promote you know, NMN because of various affiliate links that they've got and, and links with NMN supplement companies, um, you know, it, it can be very difficult for, for the lay person who's coming into this um, field new to work out who should they believe. And I'd just recommend to those people, follow what the clinical guidelines show. And if you can, look at the randomized controlled trials that look at placebo versus any NMN, um, if you wanted to start your journey.
0: Yeah, I, I definitely uh, second that. Um I think your point about Dr. Sinclair's version potentially Uh, Having a a niacin-like effect is a really great observation, especially considering the dose that they used, which was, I guess, what, like two grams, something like that, which was uh, considerably higher than, which is certainly a fair critique of some of the other studies that uh, they maybe used too low of a dose of 250 milligrams for certain studies. But I think that we can't really have the cognitive dissonance of accepting certain studies that had a low dose and they didn't find an effect, okay, fair, you could say maybe it's the dose, but then other studies use the exact same dose, exact same formulation, and then they do find small effects in maybe a few indices here and there, maybe like in uh, pre-diabetic women had a a small effect. Um, To me, you you can't say that criticism for certain studies and then not have that criticism for other studies. You have to stay uh, consistent across the board. So either 250 milligrams is insufficient or it is sufficient to at least elicit some form of, of an effect. And uh, I think to your point that there just isn't a study that jumps out, has a striking effect and clearly shows, oh, this population of people is going to get this massive boost from from NMN supplementation. So yeah, yeah. Uh, I'm sure you'd agree that uh, more studies would probably elucidate a lot more on the the topic. But um, as it stands currently, I think that ah, yeah, it's difficult. I mean, you're you're bringing up some great points too with the placebo effect. That you're you're absolutely right. There are going to be people that have taken NMN, had a great experience with it, just suddenly feel like on top of the world, and they might feel slighted by the fact that. You know you have you have two people that a aren't taking it uh at least uh, i'll speak for myself i'm not taking i'm assuming you're not either yeah,
1: i'm not taking it either
0: <laughs> okay um so two people that are taking it and just looking at literature just looking at studies but those studies aren't just you know it's just it's not just like penmanship i mean people are doing tons and tons of work and, and aggregating tons of data not just from a single individual, but many individuals into these datasets to to come to conclusions, and uh, we're just not seeing that much of an effect. Yeah,
1: and and on that point, I think you know both you and I want people to again lead healthy, long lives. It's not that we're trying to, you know, keep keep a, a miracle drug or, or supplement away from you. It's um, no, oh, I am for you know, sure. We, we just want to focus in on the randomized controlled trials. <laughs> but on on the point of you know further research, so. What, one of the ideas about NMN or NR or nicotinamide supplementation is that we've been told over and over again um, that as we age, our NAD levels go down. So NAD is central to our metabolism. And it, it, if you actually explore that, it, it's probably not that accurate. So for example, there was a study done, uh, published, I think it was last year, And it was an observational study. So what they did is they took muscle biopsies from younger adults and then they compared those muscle biopsies to older adults. Now some of those older adults were exercising and some of the older adults weren't. Now the group the older adults that were exercising their muscle NAD levels were very very similar if not the same compared to the younger adults. It was only the older adults who weren't exercising that had lower muscle NAD. So you know, coming back to the uh, the theory that you know we should be replenishing our NAD levels, it seems that if we exercise and if we have a good diet, our NAD levels are probably going to be absolutely fine. So, you know, there, there, there's some um, there's some work to be done. I think about the uh, you know original hypothesis or idea. The one thing that and 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 on the point of trying to raise muscle NAD because again, if if we're focusing in on six minute walking tests or strength we should be seeing that if you take NMN supplements, your muscle NAD should go up. But there's been a couple of studies now on nicotinamide riboside and one study on NMN where they give those supplements to older adults and there's no effect on their muscle NAD. So you, you have to wonder, is there ever going to be an effect by taking these molecules on your muscle performance? Um, and, and I think the the initial studies that we've got so far would back that up. That again, there doesn't seem to be any effect on muscle performance um, by using these precursors
0: yeah I think I think for the most part there's there's one study that I ran across which was uh which was kind of the anomaly which was in uh people in their 30s I want to say or maybe late 30s something like that and they were recreationally active and they took NMN at a pretty high dose I think is 1.25 grams, something like that and for the most part they didn't see much of an effect except for their ventilatory threshold was uh improved at the at two different points so there was there was a slight improvement in their ventilatory threshold but again it's a single study it's uh looking at very specific measurements uh so they're looking at uh, for for people listening um they're looking at what's known as a, as a point of OBLA, so O-B-L-A, which is a point where as you're exercising, uh, you are metabolizing at very low intensity, you're metabolizing a lot of uh, dietary fats or a lot of fatty acids in general, fats, fat molecules, and those go through the mitochondrion and then you use oxygen to be able to combust that and you, know, you go through a whole metabolic process that I'm not going to go into. But the point is that you're using uh, these fats for energy generation but as intensity increases uh, over time, as you as you push yourself uh, more and more, then you, your cells end up switching over more to glucose metabolism. And as a result, because the the oxygen demand and the uh, nutrient demand isn't uh, in sync, we'll put it that way. Uh, the glucose pathway starts to put off this lactate. So uh, a molecule known as lactate, which ends up in the bloodstream. And that's what we can actually measure as that crossover point from using more fat metabolism to using more glucose metabolism. And that threshold right there, they did find that that was was changed with uh, NMN supplementation. But beyond that, you know, it's again, it's just, it's a single measure. It's uh, one situation. So what can
1: you make of it? And and in that study, there was no effect on VO2 max. So yeah, I, yeah, I, I wasn't sure how to interpret that. And again, it, it's one measure. Um, if you measure enough things, you're going to find an effect somewhere. That the the point is whether that measurement or or effect is reproducible. Um, and yeah, I, I don't know. I'm, you know, we we can always do more research. But um, yeah, is is this research money or funding better spent elsewhere? Who knows? I think it at the the take-home message, I think, if, if people are taking NMN and they're feeling great, um you know, the the studies seem to suggest that it's a safe molecule to take. Um mm-hmm. so I, I I certainly don't warn people against it. Uh all I'm trying to do is mention to people that if you're considering NMN supplements, um, the the evidence in in my view isn't quite there to, to take it. Um but if you want to take it, crack on. I've got no, <laughs> I've got no qualms <laughs> about what <laughs> supplements people take.
0: Yeah, and and it's pretty expensive from from what I've heard. Yeah. So
1: okay, but great. it's just interesting. Like if if you con- if you contrast that to say something like creatine, so creatine's one supplement that I always talk about on my channel because again, when you test it in the randomized controlled trials over and over again, you see a positive effect on muscle performance, particularly you know short duration exercises. Um, and now there's also you know potential uh, potentially some research in a in the form of a meta analysis. Showing that older adults who take creatine may have improved cognitive performance compared to a placebo. So, you know, if if someone wanted to take a supplement that's actually got some good evidence behind it, I I just encourage them to spend their money on a very cheap supplement, which is creatine.
0: Uh, I you're you're not going to hear any argument from from my perspective whatsoever. Uh, I think also people get hung up on creatine, the different types of creatine like hydro uh, HCL or, you know, monohydrate or whatever it might be. I mean, just, just pick the cheapest one. They they all do the exact same thing. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Pick monohydrate. It's cheap. It's well, yeah. Well tested. Um, yeah, there, there doesn't really seem to be really any downside. Some people get some, you know, gastric, um, upset. So a bit of a runny tummy, if you first start taking it, some people get a little bit of bloating, but, you know, aside from that, we used to be concerned about things like, um, you know, kidney function uh that would creatine supplements worsen kidney function and we've got very good research now going over five years plus that that doesn't happen so we're not worried about our kidneys on this then there was the study published in 2009 in rugby players suggesting that maybe creatine raises a hormone called DHT and DHT is associated with male patterned hair loss but in in multiple other studies since then there's no effect on testosterone or DHT levels and no study has shown any effect on on um, baldness with creatine. So th- this is always something that comes up in my YouTube comments. But again, if, if people just want to focus in on what the research shows, there's there doesn't seem to be any effect with or or downside from creatine in terms of hair loss. I think what's probably happening is that people are getting a bit older. And if you're generally starting to take creatine, you're probably going to the gym and therefore boosting your testosterone levels anyway. So that's probably what's happening.
0: Yeah, that's a great point. There is
1: a. I I remember I
0: looked this up maybe six months ago. There is actually a study that's being done. I think to try to figure out if uh, creatine causes hair loss. I haven't I haven't look I haven't looked up uh, where where they are in that stage. But uh, I if if I remember correctly, that would be. I think that's going to be really interesting to see what the results from that study are. But yeah, you're you're yeah. absolutely right. I mean, I I've been anecdotally, um, I've been taking creatine for 15 years and, um, I mean, my arm fell off, but beyond that, you know, no, no, nothing too
1: extreme. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm about the same. I started taking it when I was 15, 16. So yeah, about yeah, yeah 15 years as well. So yeah, yeah, it's a, it's if, a great, if, again, if, if people ever wanted to dip their toe into something, um, beyond diet and exercise and sleep, yeah, creatine's the one in my view. Yeah, absolutely. Um, on that point, is there any, any other sort of supplements that, that you're excited about or that you take that you wanted to discuss today?
0: Uh, Yeah, there's one that I definitely take that I I think you've discussed as well, which is uh, collagen peptides. So I take take collagen uh, every morning. Um, I've been taking it for the last several years, maybe five years, something like that. Um, So I've been taking it. The research that I've looked at has been specifically in skin health. Um, that's been my main focus. I don't know. i I think you've looked at it in skin health, but have you also looked at it in like joint health and and things of
1: that nature? Yeah, I have, but the the joint health and the tendon health and and whatnot, that's I've not really seen much of an effect from collagen peptides. So yeah, much like you, I take it for skin health. but I mean, it, it's still quite a controversial topic. You know, there's some very famous um, YouTube channels and commenters who, Basically, say that yeah, collagen peptides are a complete waste of money. So, just for people who are new to this topic, collagen peptides are very short chains of amino acids, and amino acids make up protein. So, it, you know, if you take in say a a whey protein powder, um, you know, your body digests that by breaking that those proteins up into short chains of amino acids. So, the um, the argument against collagen peptides is there's probably no benefit beyond simply supplementing with. Um, with protein, but th- there's one study that th- there's one study that I could find um, that disputes that. So there was a study in burn patients, and what they did is they gave one group thirty grams of um, collagen peptides, and another group um, it was soy protein, and they, it, it was equal amounts. And what they were looking at is the rate of wound healing. And what they could see is that the collagen peptide group had significantly um, faster rates of wound healing compared to the group that were taking protein. So to me, that, that that's, you know, reasonable evidence that there's something else going on, that it's maybe it's the pe- specific peptide chains that are causing, you know, improvements in skin health. I, I'm not too sure. There's still some work to be done. But over and over again, again, coming back to the randomized controlled trials, whenever well, it seems that whenever... A, a good randomized controlled trial is done um, where they give collagen peptides and compare it to a placebo. There is improvements in wrinkles and skin hydration. Um, so yeah, I, I think it, it it's a very safe thing to um, to take as well. So yeah, I, I, I can't really see why you wouldn't take collagen peptides.
0: Yeah, uh, so I didn't know about that study. So I'll, I'll have to look into that. That's, that's super interesting. Um, the one thing for me, actually I can speak to the mechanism a little bit. Um, so you mentioned that when people took uh, collagen peptides, that they were able to to recover faster in terms of their their skin health and whatnot from the the burns. Um, so yeah, there's, there's not that cell work uh, is going to be the bee's knees of of evidence and whatnot, but I think it can tell you a lot about. It can tell you a good amount actually about uh, mechanisms. And there are uh, yeah, cool. collagen peptide receptors that are found on fibroblasts, which are the the cells that actually secrete uh, the collagen. So the uh, it's the the tripeptides, just like you described earlier. Um, when you're consuming these these collagen peptides, you're consuming these tripeptides. And people think that, again, to your point, that when you take like a, a protein, that you're breaking it down into those single amino acids, or maybe a dipeptide and whatnot. And in reality, we can we can absorb more than just single amino acids. We can absorb single and tripeptides uh, through these specific transporters that are found in our intestinal lumen. So from there, uh, those peptides then enter into circulation. They can actually bind to different receptors on the fibroblasts of our skin and actually encourage them to, to start producing more of the full length uh, collagen. So there's there's mechanistic data that would also substantiate the idea that collagen peptides independent of you know other types of full proteins would have an effect on skin health so that's again that's where I'm leaning towards yes it doesn't have an effect and exactly to your point I think to myself well I mean if I'm leaning that way I'd rather spend a little bit of money to to improve my health and see if that has an and and hope that that has an effect with a little bit of science behind it rather than you know just ah Bahambug just forget about it and then uh you know, think back twenty years from now. Oh, I should have been taking collagen peptides. You know,
1: yeah. And and to that point, like it, harking back to the NMN um, discussion that we were having, when collagen peptides are tested, you know, we've got we've got about fifteen to twenty randomized controlled trials now looking at collagen peptides and skin health, and that they they all show an improvement um, in in terms of skin wrinkles. And when those studies are then analyze use in, in a meta-analysis where they're combined together again it shows an improvement so um you know th- that's the type of signal that I think we're looking for uh wh- whenever we're considering a supplement um so yeah I think I think it's a bit of a no-brainer at this point to take collagen peptides
0: yeah I agree and I think uh hopefully in the future we will have some of those meta-analyses for for NmN um I knew that actually I'd like to quick speak on that meta analyzes what what I'll ask you this what are your thoughts on meta analyses as a whole? Because I think this is actually a, a an, kind of an underground divisive topic for some people.
1: Yeah. So there's meta analyses and there's meta analyses. So you can you can definitely skew the the data which way what it which way you want to to make it basically. So um, it, the creme de la creme of meta analyses is done by an organization called Cochrane. So if you see a, a meta analysis done by Cochrane you can fairly reliably um, yeah rely on those results. And that's because of the specific methodologies that they use in that analysis. So, um, you know, it doesn't really matter which author is doing that Cochrane review because they have to follow a specific method to do that analysis. Um, but outside of those Cochrane reviews, um, yeah, you, you, can, you can massage the research to produce the result that you want. Um, so people look at, say, a meta-analysis and think, oh, that's a very high level of evidence sometimes unfortunately oftentimes it's not
0: yeah uh yeah i agree i think uh i, th- <laughs> I like the way you put it meta- there's a meta analysis and there's a meta analysis is so true i mean there's in certain instances you're going to you can have two meta analyses that are technically exactly what they are but uh the way that they're conducted can be uh better or worse depending on how the researchers go about it i th- i have found usually that analyses the meta-analyses that I've read have been generally pretty good they maybe have some minor issues here or there but for the most part they do a pretty good great job especially when they do these kind of secondary analyses that we don't need to get into and whatnot but um and then I have run across some that are just they're bad but I mean then again you're also going to have bad randomized control trials you're going to have bad epidemiology yeah. it's 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 going to be the case all the time so, you just have to do your due diligence, but anyway, I just wanted to ask you that because I, I sometimes yeah, yeah. get these. And as and suppose w-
1: w- one of the things that, that I look at with um, when I'm reading a meta-analysis is mm-hmm. looking at the bias section. So this is where ideally the meta-analysis is looking at how how robust the individual randomized controlled trials are in terms of their methods and and whatnot. And and it's a, a Cochrane bias tool that ideally they should be using because again, it's it's very um, methodological in terms of you know grading how robust um individual trial was done so it you know that that's one of the defining things that i look at at a meta-analysis is just to see yeah how robust the underlying research is because you know there's the classic saying of garbage in garbage out so if you've got you know not particularly well conducted randomized controlled trials if you if you combine all that together that's just complete rubbish um so, yeah, it, again, for people watching, that's another thing to look out for. If you're trying to go through these meta-analyses yourself, look at the bias section.
0: Oh, yeah, definitely, absolutely. It's uh, usually called, so the the old scale was called the Jadad scale, and the new scale, I think, that you're referencing is the the grade scale, the Cochrane grade scale or yeah. something along those lines. Yeah, yeah, that's excellent advice. Okay, so back on the uh and Continuing supplement- down the line of,
1: wait, I was going to say, continuing down the line of... Um, of supplements for skin health. I'd be curious to get your opinion about hyaluronic acid if you've looked into it.
0: Yeah, I have. Uh, hyaluronic acid is an interesting molecule. I So I know that uh, there, there are some studies that have looked at it from a topical perspective, like actually adding it to the skin, and then there's been other studies that uh, look at it from just like a consumable. The evidence in favor or against hyaluronic acid in general. There's a good amount of studies on it, but actually specifically to our point that we were just talking about the quality of studies, uh, the quality of studies is pretty poor for the most part, except for just a few on the consumable side. So the ones that are topical tend to be not that great of study design. Uh, And the consumable ones, there's a few that are a little bit... uh, dubious, but um, I would say, so after going through all these studies, I ended up concluding that it's possible that the topical may work, but there isn't that much great data in favor. And I think that the consumable does seem to have uh, some some benefit. Again, it's just, for me, it's just slightly leaning in that direction. What about you? What are your impressions?
1: Yeah, I was similar with the topical um, administration. Um, so the creams and things, but Looking at the supplementation route, um, yeah, the the studies that I looked at, most of them seem to be referencing a, between a fifteen, uh, yeah, a ten to twenty percent improvement in in skin wrinkles. And some of them were, you know, these randomized controlled trials that were published in fairly well established clinical journals. Um, and and so, just again for for the audience watching, um, high ranking journals will only include randomized controlled trials if they're conducted quite well. Um, So so that's generally a marker for um, study quality. Uh, And then going through those studies, again, they were randomized, placebo-controlled, double-blind. Yeah, and and they seem to be showing improvements for skin health. So there there weren't any safety signals that that I could see. Um, So yeah, I I started taking it for for skin health. The evidence around things like, um, you know, improving cartilage in your joints um, or improving tendon health or anything like that that's quite dubious. Um, It's, yeah, I'm more excited about the stuff about skin. But again, um, you know, looking, it's a fairly long molecule. So thinking about how it's actually absorbed and how it gets transported to the skin, you know, we've got some mice or rodent studies showing that yes, it does get to the skin, but I'm I'm not a biochemist, so I don't have a, a firm understanding about how that process actually happens and how robust it is. Have you looked into that?
0: Yeah, I've looked at the uh, different molecular weights. that usually gets broken up into three different, uh, three different levels. So there's high molecular weight, middle, moderate, and then uh, uh, low molecular weight. So the low molecular weight are these really tiny uh, peptide chains. Um, that those are the ones that seem to be able to penetrate through the skin, and the larger ones tend not to be able to. But the larger ones have the added benefit of being more hydrating, now because hyaluronic acid. And I'm sure that you've run across this in your research as well. Because hyaluronic acid just globs onto mass amounts of water. It's like I don't know, like 600 times its density or something like that, which is any just like an incredible number, you know. Um, so yeah, the 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 way that I was thinking about it is that the small, the very tiny version seems to get through, but the the larger ones. Uh, tend to just stay on skin. And I don't know if that actually has any benefit if you just hydrate the the, the surface of the skin,
1: you know? Yeah. Um, when I was having a look into you know, consuming the hyaluronic acid um, and how it's absorbed, it, it does seem to be, well, The from the mice studies that we've got in the initial human studies that we've got, it seems that the longer chain, so the high molecular weight, hyaluronic acid, is broken down into the low molecular weight, and that's what's actually absorbed. Um, it's thought, though, that the high molecular weight, it, you know, once it's actually, um, you know, in, in our body, that's associated with an anti-inflammatory effect. Um, but it, it doesn't look like we can actually absorb the high molecular weight, hyaluronic acid, directly. But that makes sense. It's a massive molecule. So, it, it, you know, th- there's no receptors that, that I'm aware of, or, or I don't think anyone's aware of, that can directly absorb that large molecule um, into our bloodstream.
0: No, not not into the bloodstream. Not that I'm aware of either. No, I did. Uh, I was curious about your impressions about uh, taurine supplementation. Did you have uh, any thoughts on that? I know that you covered the uh, one paper that released in like June or July,
1: something like that. Yeah, that that kind of sparked all of the hype. So it, for people who were yeah. new to taurine, um, it's it's an amino acid. is commonly used in um, you know energy drinks and things. And, and it's been marketed in that way as an energy booster um, and it's thought to play a role in mitochondrial health. So this study that really kicked off the excitement was in mice and it seemed to extend their lifespan, I think it was about 10 or 15 percent. Um, but one of the interesting things that that study found as well is that taurine seems to be somewhat protective against the age associated increase in weight. So. To to me, that there was a bit of um, debate as to whether there was a true lifespan extension effect, or whether it was simply that taurine was helping these mice stay at a healthy weight, and that was the reason for why they were living longer. Um, either way, it it has been used for a very long time in humans, um, and it's actually it it can be part of a magnesium complex. So the magnesium supplement that I that I take is magnesium taurate. Um, and, and, you know, that's very well absorbed. It, it, it has been shown to also get into the brain as well. Um, so I think if, if people wanted to, to take taurine, uh, you know, again, we, we, we've got very good safety research showing that it, it's, it's probably fine. It may be beneficial. And again, if, if you were taking a magnesium supplement, maybe consider magnesium taurate.
0: Oh, huh. Well, I learned something there. Yeah. That's, that's a fantastic point about the, the weight uh, perspective as well. Yeah, it's certainly possible that you know some of the benefit, or maybe even completely the benefit, comes from uh, weight regulation and being able to mitigate some of that gain over time. Um, what I found really interesting about that paper was that they they looked at all these different metrics uh, for taurine metabolism and looked at senescent cells and uh, satellite cells and you know all that stuff, and uh, they found some really profound effects across the board. I love the fact that they extended it to uh, Rhesus monkeys as well. So beyond uh, just looking at uh, at mice, which is often a critique by you know plenty of people and you know rightly so. Um, not that rhesus monkeys are, are going to be a perfect uh, corollary either, but uh, they're at least a, a step in the right direction. They found a lot of the same uh, benefits, not all of them, but a lot of the same benefits from from the supplementation of that study. But again, you know, it's just <laughs> we we've been saying it, but. Uh, you know, it's just one study. So, oh, I, I did actually look into other studies that looked at taurine supplementation, and it did at least seem to have some mild benefits uh, for for people as well. Um, I think on like HbA1c, so actual like clinical uh, metrics, and so like HbA1c. I think it uh, trended towards uh, maybe a very slight effect on LDL cholesterol, and maybe like one or two other metrics that I was quick able to look at but, uh, it's something I need to look into f- far, far more into in, in detail.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I think, I, I think it's an exciting molecule. Um, mm-hmm. and, and again, I think if people want to take it, um, you know, to, to save a, to save yourselves a bit of money, just consider taking the magnesium taurate, um, complex. Um, and again, that, yeah, that's the one that I personally take. Um, the, on on the point of mice studies, cause you know, I'm sure next year, 2024, there'll be some new mice study that says, oh, well, this molecule is fantastic. So if people um, ever wanted to look at sort of the creme de la creme or the gold standard of mice studies, um, I'd highly recommend that you look at a program called the Interventions Testing Program. So this program is different because a lot of the other mice studies, they use inbred mice or genetically altered mice. Whereas the interventions testing program, they use what's termed, you know, genetically diverse mice, so unaltered essentially. Um, and the only way that they can do that is by running massive experiments with, with lots of mice. Um, and they run these experiments in three separate labs at the same time. So they start the experiment, all, all three labs are testing a particular molecule and, and seeing if it does extend lifespan. So, you know, from that program, we've got really exciting results from Uh, you know, about rapamycin, Um, we've got exciting results for a few other molecules as well. Um, So, yeah, if people were ever interested in or or not getting too overhyped about a particular molecule, just check if the interventions testing program has trialed it and what the results are. So, harking back to our previous discussion about NAD boosters, you know, they tested NR or nicotinamide riboside and there was no effect on lifespan seen. So, yeah. you know if, if if people want to get excited about taking these nad boosters thinking that it's going to extend their lifespan um you know i the the mice research at least doesn't support that and again we've used um nad boosters in clinical medicine for decades in the form of niacin and there has been no effect or, or no improvement um, in mortality rates so yeah that, that's just something for people to, to consider look at the interventions testing program
0: Yeah. That's, that's, that's a great input. Uh, Something I need to look into in, in far more depth myself. Yeah, that's great. Thanks. Um, you know, I, on, on the topic of NMN and just, you mentioned mortality and whatnot. I'm curious on your take on, uh, I feel like a lot of people have gotten extremely critical of biomedical measures, like literally just looking at like triglycerides, LDL, cholesterol, like all these different metrics. And they, they, I, I get pushback every once in a while from people saying that well, those aren't an indication of longevity, and I'm honestly I'm a little flabbergasted by that general uh, argument. I mean, what are your what are your thoughts? Do you think that that is that should be something that should be considered when you're looking at longevity and anti aging?
1: Yeah, so when I see patients in the clinic, so for for people um, who aren't familiar with my work, I'm a practicing medical doctor. So um you know, three days a week, I'm working at the clinic as a primary care physician, um, and and we focus on preventing disease. So you know we don't want to be treating heart attacks and strokes, we want to be preventing heart attacks and strokes. Um, so you know, looking at things like HBA1C, which is a um, a marker of your overall glucose levels, um, looking at things like yeah, your, your lipids, um, your kidney function, all of these are critical um, to to help inform us about, you know, what changes do we need to do about your diet? Are we exercising enough? Do we need to be on specific medications to, again, prevent heart attacks and strokes and diabetes? Um, and, you know, cardiovascular disease is still, a, 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 it takes, it, it's something like 30% of, of deaths, I can't quite remember the exact figure, but 30% of deaths um, is from cardiovascular disease. So if, and, and I think we've got the tools available today to basically, Prevent cardiovascular disease. So, um, yeah, if, if we do it right, we can have a massive, uh, we can make a massive impact on patients' health.
0: Yeah, and I think I think on an individual level, well, as you're absolutely right, but on an individual level, I think it's to me the reason why I get so flabbergasted by this argument of we should be looking at other tests. I'm assuming they're talking about like the Horvath clock and like looking at these epigenetic uh, tests that kind of compare biological age versus chronological age, but um, the reason why I get so thrown off is because, well, I mean, if you have a heart attack at the age of 55, I mean, how much longer do you think you're going to live? <laughs> it's It can get right down to those basics. You don't need to be looking at epigenetic changes or anything of that sort. Um, it's cool. It's interesting. And I, I'm excited for the future of if we can get new assays and new tests to, to determine a person's age and whatnot. But like in reality, I think we should probably be sticking or focusing at least on the on the basics.
1: And and on the point of tests, so in clinical medicine, well, at, at least in, um, in in sort of Western medicine, we should be doing tests because we think we might be changing something. So, for example, let's take the the lipid panel. We would test that because we might need to make changes to someone's diet. We might need to be you know thinking about what medications do we need to use to lower a person's ldl cholesterol and and it's unfortunate because even that online that the concept of lowering someone's ldl cholesterol even that is controversial whereas in the medical space and all the universities it, it's it, it's the standard because the evidence is so robust and again this is one of the big reasons why i started my channel is to try and um, educate people about what they can do to prevent disease um, and live healthy long lives and you know, before I started my channel, what I was seeing is that there was, you know, all sorts of people who were going off the rails and, and basically saying, you know, clinical medicine is complete rubbish. They've got it all wrong. You need to be following my diet and you need to be paying for my courses. Um, and it, it's unfortunate that that, that has, um, yeah, that that's not helped people. I, 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 one of the things that people can be doing to significantly improve their health is following the preventative care guidelines. Um, and yeah, I, I think we, we've we've got a lot of work to do to get people metabolically healthy, with you know low HbA1c levels, low cholesterol levels, fit. Um, yeah, we've got a lot of work to do.
0: Yeah, I, I completely agree. Um, yeah, what? Uh, just to, uh, I'm going to deviate a little bit, but I am curious as to what was the the motivation for for you to start your channel? Kind of like big picture, I guess. I mean, you you mentioned part of it.
1: Yeah. So. I initially started my channel again because i was I started to get quite interested in the aging process that you know getting wrinkles in in the twenty first century, I was thinking, you know what what can we possibly do? Surely we're close to cracking this aging issue. Um and when when I first started looking into it, you know i, I was I was very excited. It sounded like we were just around the corner from making these world altering uh, discoveries. And, you know, unfortunately, that's not quite the case. It's It was actually a bit reassuring in a way because going down this rabbit hole, I realized that actually the the preventative care clinical guidelines are amazing. We just need to get people to follow them. Um, so m- my overall goal is to democratize those guidelines because at, at the moment they're, they're paywalled. So, um, you know, e- each clinician every year has to pay about 400 US dollars to have access to these guidelines, uh, which is really unfortunate. And, and that that fairly you know un- unless you know how to read these guidelines because they're quite technical um for, for the lay person you, you kind of get lost so you know I wanted to create my channel to actually show what the clinical guidelines um suggest we do and more and almost more importantly the re- the justification or the studies behind those guidelines um to try and demystify some of the um some of the misinformation that's online so I've created a so in addition to my YouTube channel videos I've created a web page I, I call it roadmap essentially it's the roadmap to a long healthy life and it's freely available on my website and it goes through all of the diet and the exercise the sleep you know medications blood tests it, it's it's it is a roadmap about how to be healthy and it's all based on the clinical guidelines um and then in addition to that so I've also started um, selling a multivitamin supplement so again I, I designed the supplement because I wanted to I wanted to take a multivitamin you know there's some as i've already mentioned you know i take um, magnesium Um, i wanted a multivitamin that had you know vitamin k2 um, the correct dose of vitamin d3 and the multivitamins that i could see out there they were mega dosing everything and i couldn't find one that was a low dose because again i think anything that you take should complement an already healthy diet so i designed that low dose multivitamin and mineral with the idea that I could I could use the profits to fund clinical trials. So I've already mentioned rapamycin. So I'm trying to fundraise for a rapamycin study um, to see whether we could use rapamycin to hopefully prevent or even reverse the age associated decline in muscle strength. Um, so so that's kind of the, the the goals that that I've got for the channel. Again, is to get the preventative care clinical guidelines out there to people, um, and hopefully they'll be a lot healthier for it.
0: Yeah, it's really admirable. I, I love the fact that you've got all these like multifaceted goals which are gonna spearhead and really help in in so many different ways. That's really phenomenal. That's awesome. Thanks.
1: What what about you? What what are your goals for your channel?
0: Uh well, I started the channel actually because I was uh, I was really unsatisfied with my education that I was getting in university. I, I thought to myself that I was constantly asking questions. I was annoying. I was harassing my my professors, and I <laughs> ultimately just decided I was gonna to supplement my own education by just st- starting to to read research, and then I I started writing a lot, and then I thought to myself, I might as well start posting videos. So I did that, and uh, yeah, it's just uh, you know, I thought to myself, if I'm learning this stuff, I might as well just put it out there for for other people to to learn about it as well, and. uh certainly at the very beginning i was horrible i was i was so bad at, at reading research and and it's been a learning process so i'm actually incredibly thankful oh well, i shouldn't say incredibly thankful i i had many years of of real annoyance with the fact that the channel wasn't growing but um cuz i started it back in 2014 and i i didn't stop uploading uh all the way up up, up, up until now so the uh, first I'd say seven or eight years were just trial and error of me just you know, putting content out there and seeing what worked and and what didn't work. And uh, a lot of things didn't work. I can tell you that much. Um, <laughs> but uh, it, you know, now now things have grown and and I'm, yeah, I, I still have the same vision of me taking information that I'm absolutely obsessed with learning everything about it, mechanisms, uh the 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 clinical aspects. How it affects people, all those different things, and disseminating disseminating that into through you know videos uh, and putting it out there, and just hoping that people can get uh, a, a more complete education on on the topic. So it's uh, it's in parallel to I think what a lot I shouldn't say a lot, but several other uh, nutrition and science channels like yours and uh, and Gills obviously at uh, Nutrition Made Simple. Um yeah I, I I think uh I think we're all just in kind of this triangle or square there there may be certainly other channels out there as well that that are growing um and I I think also and I'm sure you've experienced this too is just the the level of misinformation I mean you even said to yourself um just the the level of misinformation that's out there is is pretty incredible um I I think people go, attach themselves to ideas and they want to believe something, and uh, so they attach themselves to the idea emotionally, without necessarily even ness- asking for the data, asking for the the rationale behind it. And uh, that's that's certainly something I'm I'm very much against. But it's it's a struggle. You yeah, know, no, I, having I think that balance.
1: I, I think your channel's amazing, and and yeah, you've mentioned Gil over at Nutrition Made Simple, who produces awesome content as well. Mm. And and it's nice to see yeah channels like yours. Um, you know, taking off um, and focusing in again on the randomised clinical trials and and you know the further outcomes. Because one of the things sure. that, that I've sort of begrudgingly had to accept is that you know a, a lot of people who go online, if they if they go against the the so called mainstream and and have some take about whatever it is, that they become known for that and they can build an audience and a following around that. And it, it's a it's a relatively quick way to build an audience whereas if you stay mainstream um you know you you, you don't you're, you're not particularly distinctive but you're, you're probably doing great work again you're you're um, focusing in on the randomized clinical trials you're um, emphasizing the clinical guidelines which is all mainstream and it's all the stuff that people should be doing but it's not uh, sexy content um you're, you're not going to build a quick audience so you know well done on. Starting a channel in twenty fourteen and and working all all that time that's fantastic. Yeah, thanks. I appreciate it.
0: I think uh, you're you're absolutely right. And I think I think that it comes from a level of trust. I think a lot of people. I I, will, I don't even think it's the majority. I think it's just a vocal minority of people that have have this distrust of the overall scientific field, which which kind of puzzles me in 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 the way that they communicate of. Well, we shouldn't even be looking at studies. Studies are useless. They've been corrupted by all these different. I mean, I've met hundreds of researchers. Let me tell you. I mean, they 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 come from all different backgrounds, and and but the one thing that they all share is they are nerds. I mean, they want to find the answer obsessively, you know. And I I just I yeah, I think that the background way of looking at research of just this negative. Everything's influenced. Everybody's in the the pocket of industry and everything. I think it's just it's it's not a helpful mentality, and I think it's a confusing mentality to go to these science channels like yours, or mine, and and then say, well, we shouldn't even be paying attention to this. It it just that that baffles that baffles me. So I think for the majority of people that really want this science information broken down for them that they do have this trust in science, I think it's it's really important. It's critical to have people like yourself that that release this information in and in, and explain their thought process and explain the data and show the data. I think that is that's a that's a really ah I just can't express it. It's just I I I have such an admiration for it. And it's something that I really feel incredibly passionate about. So I hear you yeah
1: yeah and on on that positive note hopefully we can have another chat like this in the future this has been a lot of fun
0: yeah that'd be great i would love that a good amount there and surely there are more supplements and discussion to be had in the future but for the time being if you're interested in dr stanfield's channel i'll have it linked for you and i certainly hope that this was informative for you thank you for listening